When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It takes a lot of balls to golf like I do. Grab a jam, I swim, and it's a down on my podcast. This guy's insane, rock to bring, it's just so, a Steve here, I'm Schmack-a-ma-gob, it's time for another Vieira Vault. And yes, I have the mo- the oh-so-popular co-host, Mr. Will Carroll. Hi, Will. What's up, Ralph? How you doing, everybody? <laughs> yeah, man, we're, uh, we're going to do the Who today, man, by Will's request, because uh, you're a big Who fan. Yeah, um, of all the, all the bands from the 60s, I think the Who are the best, or they're, they're my favorite, at least. You know, I, I love them. They definitely are the most unique, that's for sure. I love them, too. Um, how did you discover the who from my, uh, older brother, my older brother, Jim, my oldest brother, Jim, was a big who fan, uh, when he was a teenager and just going through college, he loved the who, and there was always albums around the house. And I just started listening to him and I just, I love the energy and the, just, the, the, the ferocity of the who I just, it's so loud and like, like live at Leeds, you know, it's just, that's, that's, that's pretty much a metal album. I, I consider it like, like the 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 roots of metal right there but uh yeah just listening to all of his albums and just uh the the, the oddball lyrics and they're just kind of like they're, they're like like you said they're the, the weirdest band of all the 60s bands and i, I just it, it totally appeals to me yeah um i was more like you know i own like a lot of compilations but i own like the the popular 70s stuff well all the 70s stuff and um but I never really uh, dwelled into the early stuff because I figured, you know, what I had um, pretty much covered it. But I was wrong because and, and by the way, we're going to talk about just studio albums, which they don't have many studio albums, which is odd, you know. Yeah, like especially like when uh, the uh, 70s rolled around, there was huge gaps between each album. Like they really slowed down their output for some reason. Probably, I mean, because of Keith Moon mainly because uh he was in and out of like rehabs and just, uh, you know, he's kind of a mess in the seventies. So they, they were kind of catering to his, his schedule a little, you know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, I love the, who I saw the, the, the quote unquote farewell tour. They hit it's hard tour. Oh, you know wow. You went to that. Awesome. Yeah. You know, what's crazy about it. I have a newspaper clipping. It was at, um, the tangerine bowl. Me and my brother drove up to Orlando and there's a newspaper clipping of it where it's a shot of the whole stadium, uh, the, you know, the whole crowd in the stadium. And you see me in that picture. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, it's like 100,000 people. And you see, you see me pretty up close. But, yeah, it was uh, The Who, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, and the B-52s opened that show. Wow, what a weird bill, man. Yeah, it was a strange bill. And I'll never forget when the B-52s were playing, they were throwing stuff at them. And, like, one of those chicks had that big beehive haircut be- yeah. beehive hair and uh, a plastic cut just stuck right in it like during a whole song <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty wild 
And on, on, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. I was going to say on that tour when they played the the West Coast, I believe it was the Clash opening up. I know that the Clash opened up the Shea Stadium show. Okay. Because I remember seeing footage of that. But um, yeah, what's weird was I saw the 50th anniversary of the Who tour, and Joan Jett opened that. So I saw the only two times I saw Joan Jett was with the Who. And, full circle. <laughs> yeah, full circle. And then I saw them back in like either eight, late 80s, early 90s. They played the full Tommy album. Um, and then I think, I believe they had Simon Phillips on drums during that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I saw them one more time after that. I've seen, them, I've seen the Who a total of four times. Uh, but unfortunately, never with Keith. You know, But I did get to see Entwistle, which is my favorite bass player. Oh, dude, totally. I I saw the very first show after John Entwistle died. Wow. And it, was, it was only two days after, man. <laughs> wow. I mean, nothing could stop that tour, apparently, you know? <laughs> the, yeah. the show really, really must go on. And it was a trip, you know, because we all thought the, the show was going to be canceled. And it still happened. We went went to it and... It was a it was a weird show, you know. Like it, it was fun, and I was I was glad to be there, and I was glad that the show still happened. But it was also kind of sad, and it was like a kind of a, a mixed a mixed bag of feelings, you know. And then right. at the end at the end of the show, uh, they had like a, a moment of silence, and they showed some pictures of John throughout oh, wow. his life on, on the big screen, and that was that was kind of intense. And um, I just remember like th- throughout that night, we were we were partying extra hard. And every time we do a shot or do a bump or, or do whatever, <laughs> we, we, we would always say John would want it that way. <laughs> yeah, he would. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he died like a rock star. Hookers and blow. He sure did, man. <laughs> he, he, he was with a hooker doing blow. That's how he died, you know. And, and you know, on that tour, they had a backup bassist already traveling with them because they kind of saw it coming. They were really. They, yeah, I've read that they kind of knew that he was on a downward slope and he wasn't taking care of himself, so he was kind of a liability a little bit. So they they had the that that guy with the the uh, dreadlocks. I forget his name, but he's a, he's still their bass player. But he was on tour with them just in case John couldn't play. You know? Wow, that that's wild, man. I'll never forget. And I'm going to give a shout out to my friend David Lovett when he died. I, I said, you know, I posted on, I think it was during the MySpace days. I said, damn, my favorite bass player died. And he said, oh, come on, really? He's just saying that he's dying. Go, Have you heard John Entwistle play? How can you even question that that cannot be the favorite bass player of somebody, you know? Or, or just got, being surprised that, that someone says that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe you don't like the who, but come on, you have to recognize the dude's a shredder, you know? He's, a, he's amazing. He's a, wasn't wasn't he a? I think he was a guitar player, right? And he switched. I think the you're right. Yeah, yeah. I have a few who documentaries, and they're all great. Especially um, uh, the kids are all right. That that movie is so well made. Um, Dude, that's the best rock and roll documentary ever. I, I think, I, man. I agree with you a hundred percent, man. And I'll never forget because you know I was young and dumb, and I did see it in a midnight theater. And I went to buy the soundtrack because I love that song, you know, Bob O'Reilly. Uh-huh. And, you know, that live version so good. But I didn't know it was called Bob O'Reilly. I thought it was called Teenage Wasteland. Everyone thinks that, totally. <laughs> and I didn't buy the soundtrack. 
because it didn't have Teenage Wasteland. <laughs> it's like, what do you, why would they leave Teenage Wasteland off this fucking album? And I never ended up buying it till I found out later. I was like, oh, that's the name of it, you know? You know, that was actually the, the defining moment for me becoming a Who fan was when my, uh, my brothers and sister, they all went to go see the kids all right uh, in the theater. I was too young to go. And they came home. They all came home different people. I swear to God, like they, they had just seen the second coming of Christ or something. They, they were all wild eyes when they came home like, man, this movie, you have to see this movie. Like this, this band is crazy. And then someone brought home the soundtrack. That's what really got me into the Who, Who was the soundtrack for the kids are all right. Every song and every performance on there is just the, the Who at their fucking best, man. Yeah. No, and that show, man, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that whole show is now available where they did Bob O'Reilly and Don't Get Fooled Again. I, oh, I yeah. Think, that's Where is that? Is that in New York at a... I'm not or sure. Maybe it's Wembley Arena? Maybe it's... I forget where it is, but um, that was the last show with Keith Moon, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I believe it was. And a funny thing about the most historic part of that whole movie where everybody talks about is the knee slide. Uh, uh, the Pete Townsend knee slide during We Don't Get Fooled Again. Where I have the the Blu-ray and the commentary, the the director was talking about that that whole scene was fucked up because the lights didn't turn on in time. So oh. if you look at the footage, it's dark, and when he lands on his knees and he starts sliding, is when the lights come on. And he's like, "Yeah, I fucked that up." But I was like, "But that's so historic. I, it doesn't even matter because it's just Holy. such a cool little fucking scene, you know." I remember the the commercial for the kids are all right. The movie that was that was in the that was the the whole commercial. It was just a, that scene of him sliding and the scream, you know. And I was like, "Wow, yeah. what is that?" You know, like I want to see that. You know, that looks exciting. Um, <laughs> do you remember the? Uh, you remember that TV show WKRP in Cincinnati? Yes, yes. Remember that Who episode? No, no, I don't. There's this episode where. Um, the, the the owner, Mr. Carlson, I think is his name. Yeah. And uh, Andy, I think the the station director guy, the, his name is Andy. They go to a, the Who concert in Detroit where the people get trampled. And oh. um, and like at the, after the show, they they come back to the station and they're all like having fun, like the greatest rock and roll show ever. And then they find out that some people died at that show. And like everyone's worried that they're going to change the radio station to easy listening or something because you know uh, because they, the you know the people die at a rock show so it's a bad association. Uh, you didn't see that episode? You don't remember that one? I no, I don't, man. And I have seen plenty of those episodes. I remember that that Thanksgiving one. You saw that one where they threw oh yeah tur- with the uh, turkeys <laughs> out of the, uh, the plane, totally. <laughs> That was totally. a messed up thing. But I thought I thought that trample show happened in Atlanta. It was it Detroit? Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. It was in Atlanta. Absolutely. I, I remember when it happened. You know, I remember seeing the news reports and going, "Wow, that's messed up." And then you know, that's already Kenny Jones, right? I believe. Yeah, yeah. It was before uh, he recorded an album with him, but they they did a. They, it was the Who Are You tour actually, because Keith Moon died before that tour commenced. So yeah, they got Kenny Jones to to fill out, you know, fill in for the rest of the Who Are You tour, and then he ended up joining the band full time. But uh, I have a bootleg from that that trampled show, 
and the bootleg is called Stampede. Can you believe that? Oh, man? that's that's, <laughs> that's cold, man. That's brutal. Yeah, it is, man. I had to buy it though. <laughs> wow. You know, I almost got trampled at a rush show. <laughs> I should bring this up real quick. Um, <laughs> Neil, and I have the newspaper clipping too. Well, I have it on my computer. I don't have it physically. Um, what happened was Neil Peart was in the Bahamas and it was a difficult, it was very difficult for him to catch a plane and he ended up chartering a plane or something, but they wouldn't open the gates and people got restless and throwing shit at cops. And there was a, I saw it physically, man. I saw a guy hit a cop with a two by four. Whoa. Yeah, dude. And then after that, I mean, we're all squashed up to, you know, I'm all squashed up near the gate. And the cops brought out tear gas. And when, they, when the canisters fell and shit, people started running. And I fell. And people were trampling on me. And my friend Claude grabbed my arms and pulled me out. I, I could have got killed, too, you know. Scary, man. Oh, man. And st- breathing that tear gas was brutal. And here's the ironic part, Will. The opening band, Riot. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, Fire Down Undertour. Moving pictures, Fire Down Undertour. That's a great lineup. Yeah, it was a it was an awesome show, and uh, I ended up getting a tour book tour book for free because my friend stole the whole stack of them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, even going in, it was still unruly. People were raiding the the merch table and stealing shit. It was a crazy fucking show. But huh. um, but anyway, so back to the Who. Um, well, hold on, before we go to the Who, I want to talk about my trampled story. Oh, what this one, this was embarrassing. I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but it was on a Motley Crue show, <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, it was on the Doctor Feelgood tour, and it was during Tommy Lee's drum solo, and on that tour, his drums went over the audience like it was yeah. like a, a track, you know? Yeah. So he was rolling like like right above us, and he stopped and kind of leaned over his kit and was like yelling into his head mic like, "Look at how close I am to you." <laughs> and people started going insane, and I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I fainted. It was it, it got so hot, and I was getting so crushed by everybody around me that I blacked out, and wow. I hit the ground, and people started like walking over me and shit. And <laughs> my buddy Gil like pulled me up, and he was so embarrassed. He's like, "Dude, dude, you fucking faint. The hella girl saw you, dude." <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's but, uh, brutal. And I gotta say, you and I are fucking a couple of idiots, man. That that Stampede show was in Cincinnati. That's why WKRP in oh, Cincinnati wow. covered the show. I'm looking at the record right now. It was uh, Riverfront Stadium, Cincinnati, December 3rd, 1979. So there okay. you go. <laughs> All right, it was in Atlanta. <laughs> that's fucking nuts. But, have you uh, ever uh, have you ever you ever trampled anyone by accident, or stepped on a human being, or walked over someone? Well, I used to drink a lot, Lee, uh, Will, so I might have. <laughs> I don't remember, I, a, I don't I a, recall. I have a quick story about that, uh, a real quick one. Uh, I, was at a, I was at a festival in Europe. I was at Vakken, and um, I, was, I was there with Vicious Rumors. It was like 2001 or 2002, and um, it was on a day off, and I was walking around the, the grounds. It had rained all night, so there was mud everywhere, and just piles of mud here and there. And uh, I bumped into Rick Hunolt from Exodus because they were playing that year. And we were chit-chatting and he wanted to go see Destruction. They were going on. So we walked over to the stage where Destruction was playing. We were out in the audience, you know. 
and we get there, they're playing, and you know he's really short. Well, not really short, but he's you know, he's kind of short, and I'm not that tall either. So there were just like the tallest people in the festival will happen to be all around us. We couldn't see the stage at all, and he was like going, "Fuck, man, this sucks. I can't even see destruction, man. This fucking sucks." <laughs> and uh, I look over, and there's this pile of like a, a mound of mud, like a like a pile or a mound, like a little little hill right. of mud. And I go, oh, "Look!" <laughs> and so we walked over, and we got we got on top of it. And it was great. We were like a couple of feet higher than everybody else. We could see the <laughs> stage fine. And, and we're, you know, like, you know, we're, we're on there for a good 10, 15 seconds. And then all of a sudden, bam, someone shoved us from behind. And we, we went flying off of this mound. And we turn around and this woman screaming at us in German. And she's pointing at the mound and pointing at her head. Like she was probably saying something like, are you out of your mind or whatever? And, and she's looking down and we're like, what the fuck? And we look at the mound. And someone rolled the mound over, and it was just some big fat guy that was covering the mud. Oh, <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh, dude! And I went, "Oh shit, Rick! What should we do?" And I turned, and Rick is already like ten, like like a hundred feet away, like like he's ro- practically running away. I was like, "You motherfucker!" So I was stuck there to, to deal with it. You know? <laughs> oh man, that's insane. It's, so, al- it's always been my dream to go to a wagon. It, you know, people say it's overrated, and, and but it's not. It's it's the best. It's great, man. Um, right. As far as playing it, uh, other festivals are are a lot more fun to play. At, at Wacken, it's so huge, and there's so many bands that they don't pay to, uh, as a close attention to detail. Uh, they don't cater to the bands quite as well as other festivals, like Hellfest. Uh, that's the most fun festival to play. Because they just treat you so well, they they give you everything you ask for, and the the food's awesome. Everything's great, you know. But Wacken is amazing. It's it's fucking killer. Yeah, I one day, man. I, I just like to go to Europe and see shows. Period. I did see the Ramones in Germany. Um, oh wow! Nineteen uh, New Year's Eve, going into nineteen eighty, the Ramones, the Talking Heads, and the Boomtown Rats. <laughs> what were you doing in Germany in nineteen eighty? My brother was stationed in the army, and okay. and I, uh, my parents and me went over there to visit him. And I'll tell you the most fucked up shit about that. Will was Led Zeppelin played two weeks uh, after I left, and my brother went. It was one of John Bonham's last shows. Oh man, yeah, dude. And I remember seeing the the you know like um uh, how do they, how do you, how do I say it? like posters plastered on walls. And it was like Led Zeppelin. I have a picture uh, in front of uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, the poster for that show. It was uh, in Munich. It was in Munich. And my brother went. I believe it was the second to last show John Bonham ever played. Wow. So, yeah, man. If I would have been there two more weeks, I could have seen Zeppelin. Fucking bummer. And that's that's after Into the Outdoor came out, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. It was 79. That album right. came out in 79, right? I believe it did. Right, right, right. And I, I was there from 79 to 80. So, no, actually, that show happened in 80, like maybe uh, January, some somewhere in January uh, 1980. What do you think of that album, Into the Outdoor? Here's the thing. I love it because it was the first Led Zeppelin album I bought that was brand new. Mm-hmm. It's very different. I understand. You know, it's like, I know. Look, I like a lot of Zeppelin albums more than that one. That would be near the bottom, but I still love it for, I guess, nostalgic reasons and 
Carousalambra is one of my favorite Zeppelin songs. Dude, fucking A, man. That, that's in my top three for sure. Um, you know, I didn't like that album growing up because it was just, you know, a poppier, poppier version right. of Led Zeppelin. But over the years, man, that album's become one of my favorites. I I love it, man. I think the only song I don't like on that album is Hot Dog. And 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 I and and that's universally known. I love that song. Everybody hates Hot Dog. I don't yeah, know. You, I like I like it because I'm goofy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a head scratcher. Like, why they even included that on the album? <laughs> yeah, it's it's they were they, you know that that's Plant's roots. You know the rockabilly stuff and Elvis and stuff like that. Right. I'm sure he had a lot to do with. It. I mean, at the times, you know, uh, Page was so fucked up on heroin. That's more of a John Paul Jones album. Totally, man. Totally. And Jimmy Page, and I'm sure you know Robert Plant got that in. And you know, it's really weird. I don't know if that's on YouTube, but I have it on a VHS. They made a video for Hot Dog. What? But it's just a performance. But yeah, there is a video for Hot Dog, but I don't think it's on YouTube because I remember looking for it years ago and never saw it. Yeah, it's like it's like a live performance, but they blended in the studio version. Huh. Out of, I, out of all I, that's, songs. that's news to me. Yeah, yeah. But um I, I have a friend who uh who never really heard much Led Zeppelin and he was, he wanted to give him a, a shot. And I guess like someone suggested he starts off, start off with the song black dog. He's like, like, you know, that's a, a pretty good song to start off with. If you want to get into the Led Zeppelin catalog and he got confused and, and bought into the outdoor thinking hot dog was black dog. <laughs> and he was like, what the fuck? And this is one of their best songs. Fuck Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, that's that, there's a big difference between those two songs. <laughs> a lot of people always like, You like hot dog? I was like, I can't, I'm still searching for that one person that likes hot dog out there. <laughs> I don't um, think I'll ever find him. I read that, uh, John, uh, excuse me, John Bonham said, uh, that uh, the last song of the album, which was called uh, I'm Gonna Crawl, uh, yeah. that's he said that was John, uh, Robert Plant's best vocal performance ever and i have I, I might have to agree i mean the vocals at the end of that song are so impassioned man like when he starts howling and screaming it's it does that loud awesome. scream at the end yeah 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 it's great and you know when i was a little kid when i first bought that album i didn't i didn't like you're gonna crawl because of the way it started i thought man it's like soap opera shit <laughs> you know but now i fucking love it but you know that that beginning sounds like general hospital and shit you know it does it does it's just so fucking <laughs> You know, like fucking all my children. It's like, what the hell is this? You know, but, it sounds like so, something the uh, honey drippers would do. Like you know, right? Like pre honey drippers. Exactly. Yeah, that that doo shit. I own the honey drippers album. Yeah, I, I'm sure you don't like that either, right? Yeah, I mean, I never really listened to the whole thing, but I, I saw the videos and heard the singles, and I, mean, I didn't hate it, hate it or anything. But it's just not really my thing, you know. You know, the thing about Robert Plant, it's like that guy. Um, after Zeppelin, like he's done a lot of like different type of music and world sure. music. He's like, a, yeah, he's like a very legitimate dude. Like he likes to explore shit mm -hmm. and, and picture the Levin's an awesome album. You have that one. I do love that album. Wait, is that the one with, um, big log and uh, I'm in the mood? Yeah. No, yeah, no, no, no. That's just, that's pleasure. Principle of moments. Yeah. Uh, the, that's the, a great album. The the one I'm talking about has uh, burning down one side. Yep, 
Yep. Cozy Powell played on it, and Phil Collins played drums on it. Yep. It, it's it's the most Zeppelin-y album he did after Zeppelin. But, boy, we're talking about a lot about Zeppelin, huh, during The Who. <laughs> we haven't well, even started there, The Who yet. <laughs> well, what, well, here's a little trivia, and I know you know this. How did Led Zeppelin get their name? Um, uh, Keith Moon said that uh, this band's going to sink like a Led Zeppelin, right? Yep. Something yeah. like that. I know Keith Moon came up with the name, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Because they were the New Yardbirds, and, and he said, oh, the way you guys sound, it goes over like a Led Zeppelin or something like that. Exactly, something like that. Well, there is a connection with the Who and Zeppelin. <laughs> have, you right. ever seen that, have you ever seen that footage of Keith Moon jamming yes. with Led Zeppelin? Yes, it's on, it's on YouTube. It's like a Super 8 film. Yeah. Some guy like filmed it from the audience or something. Yeah. That shit's awesome. And John totally. Bonham... Tony Iommi was John Bonham's best man at his wedding. Did you know that? Uh, I knew that. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't know that until the, the book came out, Tony Iommi's book. But yeah, totally. Yeah, because they were very close. They were, um, Plant and, and Bonham were for Birmingham. And so uh-huh. was, so was uh, Black Sabbath. And so was Napalm Death. So was Judas Priest. And so was ELO. <laughs> Crazy fucking town, man. Yeah, Something man. In the water. Yeah, there's a there. Yeah, exactly. You know, except for ELO, which I love ELO, but boy, that don't match. You know those bands. You know, totally. But that's <laughs> how Bev Bevan got in Black Sabbath. I'm sure. You know. Oh right, right. Band. You know, Dio didn't care for John Bonham too much, right? You, you no, I did not know that. No. Yeah, uh, John Bonham. Shortly before he died, he went to go see Sabbath, and he was standing on the side of the stage watching him and you know this is like heaven and hell era and um between songs uh tony iomi walked over to the side of the stage to get a drink or something and and uh he said hi to to john bonham and john bonham said hey that midget you got singing for you he's got a hell of a he's got a hell of a voice and dio overheard oh and, and, was, and was furious and i believe dio refused to, to sing another song until John Bonham was 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 not there, like they, he had to leave the, the side stage, or Dio wouldn't perform. He was that pissed. Wow, I never heard that story. Yeah, yeah, Dio Dio had a temper. You yeah, know, well, yeah. let, let, <laughs> let me let me add a story that there was this big guy that that started with him, and Dio oh. got up on a chair and beat his ass. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's an awesome story, you know. But um. <laughs> All right, so the Who. <laughs> yes. All right, now now these are the albums that I don't I'm not aware of, so I, I haven't heard it enough for it to all sink in. But we're gonna go all the way to the first one, which is I believe it's called the Who Sings My Generation, right? Yes. I was very surprised by this album because I thought it was pretty heavy, especially for that time. Yes. Um, and even like the songs that aren't like t- tailored to be like heavy are pretty heavy, mm-hmm. you know, um, like Please Please Me and. You know, there's there's a few songs that you know are not like you know they're kind of like bluesy or you know uh, I, I don't know how to mod whatever, but mm-hmm. it's got this heavy edge to it. And that opening track out in the streets pretty heavy. Totally, uh, I was really surprised by that. And of course, we all know my generation. I knew the kids all right, which is beyond catchy. That song. Oh yeah, that song is so catchy. So you're more aware of this album? Um, you know I, I am, but. That was one of the last albums I, I got by them, actually. Uh, I mean, I, I knew, like, the popular songs, but 
I didn't know the whole album until maybe early the early 2000s. I didn't get that album until that late, you know. Wow. Um, but uh, I love it. I, I love every track on it, and I like the whole surf rock uh, vibe. Like, because Keith Moon was a huge Beach Boys fan, yeah, and and just a, a big surf rock fan in general. And you could hear his that influence all over that album, like just the the drumming and just the 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 backup harmonies, everything about it, like. There's a lot of surf rock in there, and I, I dig surf rock. So um, I, I love the first album. I think it's a great, great debut. Awesome. And and how great is that footage of them doing Bob Aran with, with oh, Keith? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is such a great fun with Keith singing it during the kids. Man, whoever hasn't seen Kids All Right, you got to see this movie. Totally. It's so well made. I love that two seconds where he's like, you know, I uh, hope I die before I get old. And then they show Pete, uh, Pete Townsend like older going, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, I dig it too, though. You know, I can't dwell too much into it because, you know, I just heard it this week for the first time. And oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah, trying to remember what, what other songs are on there. Is uh, La La Lies on there? Uh, uh, La La Lies. Yeah. That's a great I tune. I don't mind. The Good's Gone. Uh, much too much. Please, please me. It's not true. I'm the man. I'm a man. Uh, legal matter and the ox. Oh, dude, the ox is killer, man. Cool, yeah, cool instrumental. I yeah. love a, a legal matter. I think that song might be my my favorite song on the album because the lyrics are pretty fucking funny, man. I mean, you know what that song's about, right? No, I don't. Uh, it's just about uh, he got a girl pregnant and uh, and he's bailing on her. <laughs> oh like, wow. So he's saying it's a it's a legal matter now, you know. Like I'm not getting married to you, and uh, yeah, he's just he's bailing on the chick. Not that I'm condoning that, you know. I don't want to alienate anyone out there, but it's still a pretty <laughs> it's still a pretty funny song. The lyrics are are kind of harsh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing about the Who too, and and you know you got to talk about my generation. I mean, that song to me is like proto punk, you know. Yeah, it's sure. so heavy and. Like, I mean, what came out first, my generation or you really got me? That's a, I don't, I wouldn't know. Oh, but, that's a good question. Uh, but all I know is that song is extremely heavy for that time. Totally, man. Totally. Because everybody points at Helter Skelter, which there is a who connection to Helter Skelter. I don't know if you know this. I don't um, know this. All right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you when we get to it. Um, the song, uh, well, I'll, I'll go all through that one, but, um, yeah, the the um, uh, okay. Is it on the next album? No, it's not on the next album. But the next album is called a quick one, right? Right. Now this one I wasn't aware of either. There is some songs I do know on here, and Boris the Spider has to be like, dude, that's death metal, man. Those vocals, you know? Yeah, yeah. People say that, and I I have to agree. I can't think of a song that came out before that before Boris the Spider that had you know the uh, voice yeah. on it. So. I love John Entwistle's song in general. Songs in general, he always had the coolest, like usually the heaviest songs on, yeah. on each album. Uh, I was a big fan of his song, so um, yeah, I like this album too. I think the production's a little weird. Um, it's not; it doesn't sound as good as the first album. Uh, it sounds like it, maybe it was rushed or something. But there's a lot of treble. It's a lot of high end on that on that record, and it kind of hurts your ears sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> but they they were experimenting with different recording techniques. And uh, their manager, uh, Kit Lambert, I think that's his name. He, uh, I think he produced that album, and he wasn't—he wasn't very—he wasn't very, uh, very well versed behind the studio console, so he was kind of winging it. 
And, you know, he was coming up with these weird ideas and different techniques that weren't really used by other bands. So that's why uh, some of the songs, like the, the cymbals that sound like steam engines, are, is a, there's a lot of compression going on. So it's an interesting album. The songs are really good. Um, it's funny, when I first heard, once again, I didn't hear this album until like the late 90s. So I, the only version of the, the song, a quick one, the only version I was familiar with was the one on, on The Kids Are All Right, which is a great, great version. Yeah. And um, when, I, when I heard the studio version on, on that album, I was kind of disappointed because it sounded so timid, you know? But, yeah. uh, but I've grown, grown to love it now, and it's, it's a great album. The, the first two albums are awesome. Yeah, the, the, you know, again, this is one I was not too familiar with. And to me, it sounds like, a, you know, what you would expect after uh, my generation. It's kind of got the same vibe. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, a quick one of that, man, that, that may be the longest rock song, the first longest rock song ever. You know, you think about it. I mean, what is it? Nine plus minutes? Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I think it's almost 11 minutes. Uh, but I, the story behind that is uh, their manager was, was like, okay, you guys, you guys need to do something. Like, you have to make a statement on the second album because, I mean, the first album was a, a hit, but. It didn't do. I don't think it did as well as they were hoping. So they were trying to do something drastic on the second album, and uh, and he he said the manager suggested they write a, a ten minute song, and and Pete Townsend was like a ten minute song. Who the hell does that? You know, you can't write a ten minute song. So he wrote like you know he wrote like ten or like six or seven two minute songs and just bunched them together, and that's what the quick one became. But uh, it works well though. It flows great. Yeah, and you know, overlooking all these song titles, it was not really a a, a hit. I mean, I think I know Boris the Spider because of that farewell tour and uh, it's hard era because I know they played it that night. I'm positive. Definitely. And, I, and they, they even threw a spider on stage at the end of the song, and Pete Townsend would do his famous like jumping the, the, the spread eagle jumps he did, and he would jump on the spider and they would accent every time he landed on the spider, like dun dun dun. I remember oh, that. Oh wow. Because, like, did you see the HBO concert for, for that tour? Yes, yes, but I don't remember that scene, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but I that's all, you know, Heat Wave, I know because the kid's all right. Or maybe it was another documentary. I know I've seen him play Heat Wave, like an mm -hmm. old version. But I'm not aware of any of these other songs. I know a quick one from the Rolling Stones. Have you ever seen that, the Rolling Stones Circus? Rock and Roll Circus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. With, uh, with Tony Iommi and Tony Iommi, uh, yeah. Yep. And now here's a question: I don't know if you know. I don't even know this. Being the big Black Sabbath fan, I am. Was Tony's fingers chopped yet during that era? Oh, I'm not a, sure. That's a good question. Uh, I don't you know. can't tell. I, I tried looking at the video, but you can't really tell. You know. You know why that that movie was never officially released, right? No. It was because of the Who's performance. They they smoked the Rolling Stones so badly that they didn't want to release it because the the, the the Who just showed them up completely. And I have to agree. I mean, they steal the show with that uh, quick one performance. Absolutely. Oh man, yeah. That, that, that's I think the first time I heard because they do it all on there, right? I believe they do the whole the whole track on that on that. Yep. I I do have it, but I don't know if it was officially released. But I do have that old show. The Rock and Roll Circus. Yeah, they they finally or eventually released it on DVD in the in the nineties. You know, it was an official release. But they when they first filmed it, it was intended to be a theatric, uh, a theater release, and shown in movie theaters. And 
once they watch the playback, they're like, no, no one's ever going to see this. <laughs> they, uh, I mean, apparently, like, they were up all night, the Stones were, and they played last. So they're, they were kind of tired by the time they went on. And they look a little tired when they're playing. And their performance, they're kind of dragging in some parts. Like, the songs are a little slower. And uh, I mean, I love the Stones and all, but the Who smoked them, man. They smoked them. There's an infamous story of Skinner smoking them. You ever heard that story? No. Yeah, there's uh, and it, you, Skinner's about the there. Skinner had a movie called Freebird that had most of that show. It's a it's an outdoor show where a big tongue is on the stage and they weren't supposed to go up on that tongue and they all did. But <laughs> but the story was that they blew away the Stones so bad that the, the Stones never released that footage of them playing that show. So they ain't the only ones that blew away the Stones, you know. And then I heard that, that, I didn't, that was in Florida. No, no, okay. I believe that was in England. I could okay. be wrong. I believe that was in England. But here in Orlando, the Stones in Tattoo You Tour, Van Halen opened on the Fair Warning. And I didn't go, but everybody that told me said Van Halen blew away. Well, I got to say, the greatest show I ever saw in my life was the Fair Warning Tour. So I don't know. I, I, I would believe that would be true, you know? The picture on the back of Diver Down is from that show. Yes, it is. Right. That, uh, there's a lot of pictures of uh, of them opening that show because you see that tattoo you artwork behind them. Yeah, and and the Stones played like in the daytime. You know, that shit was done by like six p.m. That show. The whole tour was like that when they played Candlestick Park here in, uh, in San Francisco. It was an afternoon show as well. Wow. So they, um, I have a way. I have a quick Leonard Skinner story. I don't know why it just popped in my head. I, uh, I, I'm not the I'm not that much of a Leonard Skinner fan. In, in mm-hmm. fact, I can't stand him. But that's wow. something that I, 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 I'm I don't a want to huge, anybody. huge Skinner fan. I know you are. That's why I I, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> no, no, you could, you could. You know, I I, but, I love when people bash shit. I love it makes me feel good. <laughs> but I was at a bar, and surprise, surprise, and um, like uh, someone was playing Leonard Skinner on the jukebox, or the bartender was playing Leonard Skinner. And uh, I made a comment that I, I don't really like Leonard Skinner. And this guy sitting next to me, I'd never seen this guy before, turns around and goes, you don't like Leonard Skinner? You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> I, said, I, I said, well, if you're a real Leonard Skinner fan, you would have said, you don't like Leonard Skinner? If you don't like Leonard Skinner, you can go fuck your cousin. <laughs> you got really bad, dude. <laughs> oh, that's, that is the ultimate comeback line, dude. <laughs> He wanted he wanted to throw down, man. <laughs> that is legit, Will, because I have a hot cousin that I wouldn't mind banging. <laughs> That's why I love Skinner, bro. <laughs> and dude, the bartender, like he he was he like fucking quoted me for the next three years. Every time I walked into the bar, he would yell that at me. Like he just that was the greatest thing he ever heard. Yeah, that, he was that's, laughing his ass off, man. That is awesome, man. That's, <laughs> that's great. But you know, I mean, I'll tell you one song that if I ever hear again, I'm gonna punch an infant is uh is um uh Sweet Home Alabama. I can't stand that fucking song. Okay. I'll tell you that. And another song uh, no, I love one. that one, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> you, I was going to say That Smell. You like that song? I love that smell. I, but I will admit, I, I'd be happy if I never heard it again. I'm burnt out on it. It's one of those songs you love, like, you know, like a back in black, you shook me all night long. You like it, but you never want to hear it again. I mean, call me immature, you know, but this, a song makes me think about farts. 
Like, who the fuck wants to? Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I know that's not what they're singing about. They're singing about yeah. drug addiction, but uh, uh, it, it just, you know, the, that smell, the way he goes, ooh, that smell, it just makes me think of a smelly fart, you know? <laughs> and, you well, know that, uh, before, before I heard Guns N' Roses, I was reading a, an interview with Slash in some magazine, and he was ripping on that song, and, and that's what made me want to listen to Guns N' Roses. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay, we're uh, getting off track here. <laughs> that's that's the beauty of the show, man. We need to get <laughs> yeah. off track. And I got I'll just recommend one thing. Check out the song on the hunt. You'll you'll probably think different of Skinner when you hear. You'll find you'll find a song. Like you know when you see somebody, I hate Kiss, or listen to War Machine. Right. You know, oh, I finally like a Kiss song. Listen to On the Hunt. That oh, I song. Will. I will I will check it out. It's, I remember, it's heavy and it's awesome. I remember I, I was at a ZZ Top show once. And I love ZZ Top. They're one of my favorite bands. Yeah, of all I love time. Them too. And, and people get get like uh, perplexed by that. Like, well, how can you love ZZ Top and not like Leonard Skinner? There is no comparison whatsoever to ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner. I can't. I mean, they both have a, a southern flair to their music, but that's about it. Like lyrically and the uh, musicianship, it's completely different. There's two two different animals completely. It uh, is. But, but anyways, I was leaving the, the ZZ Top concert. And some fucking burnout hippie guy was sitting on the floor, and he goes, I, I guess, like, uh, Leonard Skinner was playing at the same venue a couple weeks later. It was at, at the Cow Palace. And I walked by him, and he goes, see you at the Skinner concert, man. <laughs> and, and I go, I don't like Leonard Skinner. And he goes, you got some problems, brother. <laughs> <laughs> And you know who's standing next to him? I bet you didn't know. His wife slash sister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. boy. Yeah, but I, I, I love me some Skinner. But, yeah, I mean, here's the thing about me. And, of course, we're staying off track, people. <clears throat> I was raised in this little town in Hialeah, Florida in the 70s where all my friends were rednecks. Okay. So I was raised on Skinner, Almond Brothers, Molly Hatchet, all that shit, you know. So it's kind of like a childhood thing that, you know, I mean, my my two favorite live albums, Unleashed East, my favorite, my second is the Skinner one, one for the road. There's just something, it's just so organic. And, you know, and here's something you're probably not aware of. A lot of Southern rock uh, people think Leonard Skinner are like posers. Really? I've heard I've heard that a lot. Like, no man, if you, real Southern rock is Almond Brothers, what Leonard Skinner thing was blasphemous. I've heard that a lot growing up. That Leonard That's Skinner's crazy. like a poser, like a poser Southern rock band. And I huh? was like, shit, they're my favorite Southern rock band. But whatever, you know. But um, you, you like Molly Hatchet too? I love the first three albums, and after that, they lost me. But you yeah. Know what? I, Go ahead. Those guys, dude, like, like, just they're the kings of false advertising, man. Like, I know always, where you're going. I know where you're I, going. Yeah, dude, I used to see their album covers and go, "Holy shit, this is going to be heavy as fuck." Yeah, it's going to be, this going to be Beyond Iron Maiden or something. And I flip, <laughs> I flip the cover, and every guy in the, in the band looks like they're just driving a tow truck or some shit. Man. Like, like, what the well, fuck is this, man? <laughs> well, you're lucky. Well, at least you flipped the cover. My old guitar player bought it. <laughs> and he went home and he was horrified. He goes, 
Dude, I fucking hate Molly Hatchet. I bought that first album. And I was like, what the fuck am I listening to? <laughs> yeah, man. The s- same thing happened to me with The Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead had an album cover with a skeleton playing a violin. Sure. And I bought it. I took it home. I was like, what the fuck? Uh, whatever. Uh, do you dude, like the dead? Dude, there is there is this girl. <laughs> uh, here, I, here I am going off on another tangent. But there is this there is this new girl at my high school. She like started going like mid mid like junior year or whatever, and she was cute, you know. And so and you know she was a rocker chick. Or so I thought. And so like all the rocker dudes were like, "Hey, have you seen this new girl?" And like, "Yeah, yeah." And we're all checking her out. And so I was I was uh, getting the the nerve to talk to her one day and you know, maybe ask her out on a date or whatever. And that day came and I walked up to her. And she turned around and she was wearing a Grateful Dead shirt, and I never spoke to her again. I never, I never looked at her again. <laughs> you know, you know, JJ French from Twist Sister, he had the funniest Grateful Dead story. When he was a kid, he was the biggest Grateful Dead fan. He saw oh, Grateful man. Dead like 50, 60 times. He loved them. And then he quit drugs. <laughs> he said, he said, I heard the Grateful Dead. I was like, this shit sucks when he was off <laughs> when he was off drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a band I can never get into, man. But um, and that's false advertising too. Well, at least that album cover. I bought that shit. And I and I didn't even give it away. I didn't want to give it to nobody. I threw it away. I threw it in the trash. I was so pissed off at it. You know? And you're probably too embarrassed to give it to somebody else. Yeah, pro- yeah. probably that too, you know. <laughs> but uh all right, the who? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Now I, I gotta tell you, man, when I went to the next one, the Who Sell Out, mm-hmm. oh man, this album really confused me, man. I couldn't it, get into it. I uh, fucking love this album, dude. But but you I gotta love admit it. you gotta admit it's fucking weird though, right? It absolutely is. It's their like failed attempt at being a, a, a psych band, you know, like an acid psych psychedelic band. Did you get it on the first listen, though? You know what? Uh, Okay, here's a a funny story. So, like, their first three albums were the last albums I I ever heard by them. Like, I I was more familiar with their 70s uh, stuff. And, like, you know, everything after Tommy I was very familiar with. But the first three albums I didn't really hear until, you know, much later. And uh, the Who Sell Out... I, I heard it once, like in a, in a diner. I was having lunch, and someone was uh, the, someone was playing it, like, like in, the, in the back in the kitchen. I could hear it from the kitchen, and I I asked the the waitress what, what it was, and she's like, "Oh, it's the the Who, the Who sell out." And I was like, "Whoa, this is weird. This is the Who," and I was I was tripping out, but I was uh, I was intrigued, you know. And then you know, years pass, and I'm in the Philippines with Death Angel, and um, on one of our days off, me and Ted uh, went to this mall across the street from the hotel we were staying at, and there was a music store, and everything in there was was like like Filipino music, like Filipino artists and stuff. So the only like rock album they had in there was the Who Sell Out, a CD of the Who Sell Out, the uh, the, the deluxe remastered version with tons of extra tracks and stuff. But it was like, like, that's kind of an odd album of all albums in the world, you know, the Who Sell Out in the Philippines. Yeah. So I bought it and I went back to the hotel and put it on. And uh, this is a, a really nice hotel. And like, there was a, a huge stereo system in, in each room, you know, with CD player and a turntable, actually. So I put it on and I was, yeah, I was tripping out at first. Like the first song, uh, 
uh, Armenia City in the Sky is very weird. You know, it doesn't sound like the Who at all. It's total psych. But it just, it, for some reason, it was like the right time or whatever. I had the, the, the uh, right amount of alcohol in me or something. It just clicked with me. And I loved that song. And I kept on playing it over and over again. And I was turning up the stereo louder each time I played it until until someone complained. And, uh, and like the hotel security, they thought it was coming from Rob's room. So they went to Rob's room to tell him to, to cut it out. <laughs> And he was like, dude, <clears throat> he was like, dude, what the fuck are you playing, man? Like, what the hell is that song? Who, what, what are you listening to? I was like, who, man? So uh, I, that, this album has a special place in my heart. And I also like the, the overall theme of it. Like, you're listening to the BBC radio in the, in the late 60s, you know, or the mid 60s. It right. totally has that vibe with all the little jingles between each song. And uh-huh. on the deluxe version, there's even more uh, jingles that weren't on the actual album, like. They do a, a commercial for Jaguars, and they purposely did that because they were hoping they would get free Jaguars from doing <laughs> from doing that. You know, <laughs> I wish things were, were that fucking easy in life. You know, you just write a song and you get a free car. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but they also yeah. did one for uh, Premier Drums, and you know, I, I, it's a fun listen. I, it's a wacky album, I know, but I, I really dig it, man. I really, really love it. It's my third favorite Who album. Wow, you see, yeah. but uh, you know, in my defense, I got one list because I listened to this in order, you know, because YouTube has all the albums. So I put on right. my generation, I put on a quick one. Then when I got to this one, because this is the final one, I'm aware of the shit after this. I was kind of like, what, what the hell am I listening to, man? This is weird. Now, before this album was done, this is the Helter Skelter connection. Okay. Before this album was done, Paul McCartney read an interview with Pete Townsend saying, we wrote a song that is the heaviest, dirtiest, nastiest song that was ever recorded. And Paul never heard the song. He just saw the interview and said, you know what? I'm going to write the heaviest, you know, because of that. And he wrote, he wrote uh, Helter Skelter. Now, the song mm. that Pete was talking about was I Can See for Miles. Ah. Yeah, which turned out, but... You know, Paul never heard I Can See for Miles, but he, he just saw the interview and he said, I'm going to beat him to it. I'm going to write the heaviest, nastiest song ever, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's the connection with the Who and the Beatles there, you know? Okay. Um, but, the f- yeah, the fun- I, funny thing about, about this album also is on side one, you know, there's, there's a little radio jingle between every song. Mm-hmm. And then by, by the time side two comes around, they just completely abandoned that that uh that idea like on side two there's no more jingles like the it just kind of turns into a normal album and that's one of the reasons why pete townsend thought that album was kind of a failure because they they didn't stick with the concept all the way through they didn't see it all the way through and it's kind of a trip you know it's like side one and side two are almost two different albums oh are you are you aware of the pete townsend solo stuff sure i mean not all of it but uh some of it definitely my friend bought me I think it was his last release that has a lot of news reports between songs. You know what album I'm talking about? But, like the album has a lot of text on the cover. Man, it's oh, I, a know, really, I know which album you're talking about. Yeah, It's a really good album, though. I, I, I understand there's two versions, one without the news reports. and But I think it kind of resembles this, where it has mm-hmm. these weird things in between songs, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I will give it more listens. But, you know, you can't really judge shit by the first uh, thing. Now, the next one 
I guess we should talk about this, which I don't own, but I know all these songs. It's called Direct Hits. You know this one? Yes. This is the one that, man, I know all these songs except for, I don't know, Dr. Doctor on here or In the City or Call Me Lightning, but I know every other song on here. I'm a boy, mm-hmm. pictures of Lily, I can see for miles, substitute, happy jack, you know, and uh the last time the, the Stones cover mm-hmm. and Marianne and Shaky Hands and Dogs. Do you do you uh do you own this? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. You like it? I love it, man. I mean it's it's all their singles, uh or I mean a lot of their singles and, and the B sides. Like Dogs was a B side to uh, maybe I can see for miles. I can't remember what the B side is. But what the A side is, but Dogs is a great track, and there's a yeah. Dogs part two on uh, on Direct Hits too. There's a second Direct Hits, um, oh. yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I love it. I also love Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy. All their comp albums are are top notch, man. Like, I love Meaty Big. I have that on vinyl. I love that album. Awesome. It has awesome. That's my favorite Who song, The Seeker. Oh yeah, yeah. It's well, crazy that, that that song's not on an actual album. You know. Do you know when that trip. was recorded? What era? I think it's from 71, so I think it was recorded for Who's Next, or around the Who's Next era. Wow. And, t- and just to go back for, uh, for a second, you were talking about that deluxe thing of, uh, of Who Sell Out. Yeah. They're, they're about to release one now. Well, I know. It's the, it's the anniversary of that album. I guess so it's what, the, the 50th anniversary or whatever, but uh, it's supposed to be like... like Eight hours long or some shit, man. Like there's so much bonus material. I'm definitely gonna get it. Yeah, I saw I saw the advertising on Facebook of all places. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So then now is when I start getting familiar with the Who. Though I did get this one a little later, but I I think it's a masterpiece, Tommy. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, it's 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 maybe the the greatest concept album of all time. Or okay, I, actually, I like Quadrophenia even more. But uh, so do I. Actually, it's it's fantastic. You know, the only thing that kills me about Tommy is the drums, man. They're so wimpy sounding. Not not Keith Moon's playing, but just the the, the a drum production and the overall mix of his drums. They're so thin and they're kind of buried and they're really quiet in the mix and you can barely hear the kick drum. And <clears throat> I just wish there was a better drum production. But that, that's my only only complaint about the album. It's it's great, man. I, I fucking love it. The movie, I don't like so much, but the album is fantastic. Well, I saw the movie in the theater and hated it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't dig it, man. I don't dig it. But I bought the Blu-ray and I enjoyed it a little more. It's still very dated looking. Uh huh. But I liked it more as a grown-up. I mean, when's the? Did you see it only one time a long time ago? I I may have seen it couple of times when it was on TV, but I was really young, like many, many, many years ago. I haven't seen it since I've been an adult, so I might appreciate it more now. I, I did. I actually did appreciate it a little more. I mean, I still didn't, th- it still wasn't mind-blowing, but it was better than I remembered. Hmm. And I went to see it as a little kid because I wasn't into mu- music yet. And um, Elton John's Pinball Wizard was a big hit. I think sure. I heard that before the Who version. Okay. And, and I went to go because, you know, I love the song, oh, you know, and Elton John's in it doing it. So I went to go see it. And I was just like, what the fuck am I watching, man? <laughs> this is a really weird fucking movie, you know? Yeah, it is weird, man. But, yeah, the, the album, which I bought in the 80s, um, there was a little market across the street that had it on CD. And I bought it. And 
Man, I love it, man. It's it's different, but it really does have um, like a, you know, the concept is there. You know, you can kind of tell, like you know, it's a boy, or is is it called? Yeah, it's a boy where the the child is born, and yeah, dude, amazing journey and sparks. What a great one-two punch that is. Totally, you know, and you know, you know, um, uh, a quick one is the the. Part one to the Tommy story, right? Uh, no, I didn't know that. What I did know watching the documentary was, you know, Pete was thinking of a rock opera when he did a quick one. But I, I it, it, Matt, it goes into the story of, of the of Tommy. Yeah, it's like it, it's telling the story of the of the woman cheating on her husband and sleeping with the engine driver. And so and then Tommy is the, you know, the bastard, the bastard child. Um, so yeah, it's like the, the, uh, precursor to the Tommy story. It's pretty cool how he tied them in. Right. Well, I, I hear like a really huge gro- growth too in the music on this album. Oh yeah. You know, the album really, and it really shows the genius. Cause I think this is where Pete Townsend kind of changed, you know, and mm-hmm. how he made this concept album flow so effortlessly. And, you know, there are some, some strange musical sections like fiddling about, you know, that to- the, the, the uh, uh, Keith Moon song and, and Tommy Holiday Camp, uh-huh. which I dig them. I do like them, but they're really off the beaten path. But uh, <clears throat> I think this is a, it, it's, it has some really cool hard rock songs too on it. Oh, for sure, yeah. man. Uh, like uh, Go to the Mirror. That's a pretty yeah. heavy rip. They oh, yeah. That, 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 that. Yeah, it's cool. Do you have the vinyl version? Yes, I do. Yeah, it comes with the, the uh, booklet and the, it's like a, a triple gatefold. It's yeah. a really cool package, man. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I do love it, too. I, I bought that album, like, maybe three years ago on vinyl okay. at a record convention. And, you know, the Acid Queen is cool. Mm-hmm. I dig that song. And, you know, Cousin, cousin Kevin is, is a little um, disturbing. <laughs> For sure. To say the least, you know. And it's great. I love, uh, the you know, how it ends. You know, <clears throat> I just think it's a... Uh, it's a really well-constructed album, and I think, you know, like, you know, just to jump ahead, I mean, he even perfected it more on Quadrophenia. Totally, totally. But as you know, the next album was supposed to be a concept album called Lighthouse. Yep. Wait, before um, we go to the next album, uh, you know what's even more uh, disturbing about Cousin Kevin? Is what? when when they were doing their, their Vegas uh, uh, performance of Tommy, you know who played Cousin Kevin? Gary no. Glitter. Really? Oh man! <laughs> Nobody better. Dude, like they were keeping it real, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. Holy shit! I did not know that. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I believe. I believe my, my sister saw the show. Like she she flew out to see one of the performances, and, and she was like, "Oh, Gary Glitter was great. He was one of the best." Best parts of the show, you know? <laughs> yeah. you know, he was he was singing from the heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly, he lived it. He is cousin oh, Kevin. Oh man, that I didn't know. Entwistle wrote that song. Yeah, he always writes the the dark, sinister tracks, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I gotta tell you, you know, and then like going back to the Tommy movie, oh, Oliver Reed. Um, the Oliver Reed was a infamous alcoholic. Yep. Uh, there's there's footage of him on the Tonight Show on YouTube, totally fucked up drunk, and and he became really close with Keith Moon, 
<clears throat> and him and Keith Mood had a drinking contest. I saw this in a Roger Daltrey interview. And okay. him and Keith Moon drank like about four bottles of bourbon. And however he passed out, and, and Keith is like, oh, fuck you. And he went to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking, I, uh, he told I the story. It, I think those two guys, I think those two guys had a, a radio show too. They really? used to do like, like a comedy, comedy skits on, on the BBC. And uh, there's like, there's uh, on the Who box set, 30 years of R, of maximum R&B. There's a, a couple of uh, ex, uh, excerpts from uh, the little ra- radio things they did. It's pretty funny, man. They, they were a good comedy team. Really good. Wow. Yeah, I got to check it out. I mean, uh, you know, Daltrey said that, you know, back then they didn't really know it. But he thought like, uh, like now if Keith Moon was alive, they would have diagnosed him as autistic because he uh-huh. wasn't saying that uh, like um he said a story where keith moon was on the 20th floor outside dancing on top of the air conditioner because you know how air conditioners were against the window back then sure yeah he was nuts and then what was the other story there was another story where um they were going to the airport and keith moon was like oh no 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 you got to turn around i forgot something i forgot something at the hotel you got to turn around uh-huh. and they're I like story. yeah yeah this is a great story and they're like, oh, fuck, man, we're going to be late. No, no, it's a very, it's really important. I forgot something. And they go back to the airport, and then Keith comes back. He's like, all right. And he's like, well, what the fuck? You, what'd you forget? And he's like, I forgot to break the TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I mean, back then, being in a band must have been so much fun. You, you just can't do shit like that anymore. You, like, you can't get away with anything these days, you know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And and then I I believe it was during this tour where he took a monkey tranquilizer in San Francisco. You heard that story? Oh, of course. There's actual footage of it. Yeah, he's, fall, he's falling asleep behind the kit, and yeah. uh, they they kept on shooting him up with uh, adrenaline, like in his ankle. And you know he'd pep up for a couple of minutes and just go right back down again, man. <laughs> yep. And then Pete Townsend says, "Is there any drummers in the audience?" Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. got some guy in the audience to finish the set. Totally, man. Totally. Uh, just imagine being that guy, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, man. Keith Moon was something else, man. I think that was on, on the Who by Numbers store. Oh, was oh, it was much later then. Because the footage I saw was black and white. That's why I thought it was earlier. Um, I, think it's, I think it was the Who by Numbers store. But, um, all right. Well, before, you know, I, I know we were going to talk about just studio albums, but I'm pretty sure after Tommy was live at Leeds, right? Yes. That album is so lethal. The, just the way it opens up, you know? Totally, man. It's both, just... both versions are great. Like, the original version that, that only has, like, six songs, yeah. that's great, too. And then, like, when they, in the 90s, when they put out the full concert, or most of the concert, uh, that's even better when they open up with Heaven and Hell. It's so fucking awesome, man. Dude, that, that album, I ha- that's one of my favorite live albums, too. It's, totally. it's up, man. It's, you know, I, one I've of my read... favorite I've read what Pete Townsend said he feels partially responsible for the, the birth of heavy metal because of that record. He said that recently, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it is. It's a very fucking heavy album. And Holy. what was that? 69, right? Yep. Yeah, it was like one year before um, the first Sabbath album. Yeah, there was a lot of proto-metal going on with Hendrix and Zeppelin and, you know, and The Who. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, 
It is great. But yeah, okay. So yeah, Live at Leeds is phenomenal. If anybody like, I would point to that one if anybody wants to get into the Who. For listen, sure. Listen to Live at Leeds first. Totally. And then, and then explore all the other shit. So the next album, uh, which is called Who's Next, was supposed to be a concept album. And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they write enough songs for it to be a concept album? They just shaved it down? Yeah, definitely. Like a lot of those songs surfaced on like different compilations and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was supposed to be Lifehouse. And I actually read somewhere what the concept of the record was supposed to be. And it was, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. I think that's why they kind of uh, abandoned the abandoned it midway because it just it wasn't coming together and I, no one really understood the the uh, story behind it. Like only Pete Townsend understood the story, so like the label and everyone was like, you know, I think we should scrap this and just make a regular album. And they were you know, they're probably right, you know. I mean, who's next turned out pretty damn good, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's actually my favorite studio album by them. It's it's, it's phenomenal. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's all killer, no filler. Every totally. song on it. And, you know, totally. even the deep tracks, like My Wife Loving for Keeping, the song is over. Unbelievable. Totally. And uh, the drumming, dude. That's Keith Moon at, at his best. His drumming yeah. was never quite the same after Who's Next. I mean, it was still good on the follow-up albums, but he didn't, it just, his fills weren't quite as fast, and he just wasn't playing, like, quite as much of a maniac style as he was on the earlier albums. And Who's Next is, like, the pinnacle of his insanity behind the drum kit you know it's just fucking awesome yeah and i think this is when townsend really got spiritual mm-hmm. um uh i think bob o'reilly wasn't that the name of the guy that like his mentor or something or maybe it's something that he would call him bob o'reilly or something like that i, I think a, it's a, a combination of two different things the, the baba is is from his uh his mentor or spiritual guide or whatever you know all those guys back then had some kind of guru in their life, you know, yeah. the Stones and the, the Beatles, everybody. Yeah. That's kind of the hip thing to do. Uh, and the O'Reilly, I can't remember what the O'Reilly comes from, but I'm pretty sure it's two different things put together to form that song title. Which is weird, cause, but uh, lyrically, I don't think it has anything to do with it, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. You know, I don't I just, think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I just get the vibe of, you know, just their fans that get all fucked up and go see them live, you know? Totally. That's totally. a, and Bargains maybe my favorite off here. That song is so fun. Roger Daltrey's vocal performance on here is just so great. But you know what, man? I don't know if you feel this way. And I am a huge fan of Roger Daltrey's voice. But man, I like Pete's voice more. Whoa! I do. I, mean, I, I love Pete's voice, but that's a, that's a bold statement. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, there's something about Pete's voice. It has this silky vibe to it that i really really love you know i I'd i just like, i'd like to see pete townsend sing love rain over me man ain't gonna well, happen <laughs> oh yeah exactly well you know then again i like ace Frehley more than ingve you know <laughs> I, I do too <laughs> but you know you know who would blow who away technically you know right uh, there's there's certain things that you know uh, the technical part aspect is not really yeah i i know roger daltrey has a much more powerful voice than, t- but I, there's just something about Pete's voice. I really love it. It's just, it's got this really like silky thing, but then he can get a little, you know, nasty too, you know, sure. like, you know, that, that live version on the, on the kids. All right. When Bob O'Reilly, when he goes up to the mic, he's like, you, yeah, you know, I just yeah. love that shit. You know, he's got a grit to his voice 
here and there, but but yeah, but then you 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 know you listen to Bargain, man. I mean, Jesus, man, the way Daltrey sings that shit, you know, and yeah, Lo- Love Rain on Me, yeah, of course that one as well. Um, but yeah, this is a killer, no filler album. I never get burnt out on We Don't Get Fooled Again ever. Me neither. Me neither. Or, or Bob O'Reilly or, or Behind Blue Eyes going mobile. I mean, it's just my wife, dude. My wife's a great song. Yeah, and Twistle, man. And it's it's pretty heavy, you know. I totally. I love it, man. This album is awesome, and I would love to hear all those bonus tracks because I haven't. You know, oh, I do. They're they're killer, man. I I can't. Think I know of pure and easy, pure and easy. I know. Yep. I know yep. that was one of them. And um, there's, uh, water. Um, I can't think of them all right now, but th- there's enough for yeah a full album's worth of material. Uh, for all, all the bonus tracks, it's. it's they're all great, man. It's killer. Yeah, Pure and Easy is up there. One of my favorite Who songs, too. For sure. That was from that session. I think yeah. I think that was on Odds and Sods, or... Yes. Another it... great compilation. But that, that compl- Actually, Odds and Sods, most of it is the uh, Lifehouse stuff. It's, that's pretty much the, the bulk of that album. So Long Live Rock was during that era, too? Yeah. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. That's a badass song too, man. Yeah, that's a heavy, it. heavy who song. Be it dead or alive, that shit fucking rules. Totally. Yeah. All right. I see the next one is uh, uh the meaty uh beady big and bounty, which I do own. Uh, let me go through. Yeah, this is like this is a solid, solid compilation album for sure. Um, you know, you got you know substitute can't explain, uh, happy Jack, uh, picture the lily, the seeker. Man, there's just something about the secret. So the last time I saw the Who on um, the 50th anniversary, they played the Seeker, and and uh, Pete Townsend said, "I wrote this song in Florida." And I was like, oh. and I didn't know. Then he went into the Seeker. I was like, "Whoa!" You know, I didn't know they were gonna play it. And uh, but there's just something so cool. And there's a video for it. Have you seen a video for the Seeker? You know, I think I have. It's been a, a, ages ago, but I think I have seen it. Yeah, they made a video for it. It's pretty damn cool. It's like all the band members, like, really close up to the camera. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got a great vibe. And I love Keith's playing on that song. It's just, oh, any any uh, way, anyhow, anyway is another one I like. That's one of my favorite Who songs, man. Yeah. Uh, they just go off in the middle section, man. It's so fucking killer. I love it. Magic Bus, wh- that was a single, huh? Yeah, it, you know, it was also a, an album. That was only released in the U.S. So in, 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 in Europe, they released a quick one. And in the U.S., they released Magic Bus. And it has different songs. I actually just bought Magic Bus on vinyl like four, three or four days ago. <laughs> but wow. um, it, it has a lot of the same songs as a, as a quick one. But there's a few variations. Um, and I actually prefer Magic Bus over a quick one. I, that version of the album is a, a little more uh, cohesive, I guess. Uh, but... Yeah, Magic Bus, great song. I love it when they play it live and they turn it into like a fucking fifteen minute jam. You know, it's just so so killer, man. There's a bootleg. I don't have it, but I actually did a uh, Who podcast a couple weeks ago, and this guy was talking about a bootleg he had, where there's a, a version of Magic Bus on that album that's a half an hour long. Wow. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Those are the days, man. You you, you yeah. got your money's worth when you saw. The band's taking drugs on stage and just going nuts. <laughs> going, yeah, going into those extensive jams like 
made in Japan, Deep Purple and shit like that. Yep, exactly. Like, um, Deep, Deep Purple, they, they fucking take it to a whole new level. I mean, I, I don't think they had it in them in them to, to play the song how it is on the album. No. <laughs> like it's, it, was, it wasn't in their DNA. They just couldn't do it, man. Like, yeah. every song turned into an extended fucking 10-minute version, you know? I'm not yep. complaining, but, you know, every single song is funny. And, and Blackmore is infamous of never repeating his guitar solos. Yep. You know, he always yep. does. Like, if you watch, like, those Rainbow videos, like Stone Cold, like, during the solos, they don't really focus on Blackmore much because... You can tell in the video shoot, he ain't playing it like it is, you know? Yep. Okay, this brings an end to part one of The Who Discography with Will Carroll. Join us next week when we go into part two, where it's not, as you've heard in this episode, it's not all going to be about The Who. We talk about different things. It's always a blast with Will Carroll, but let's go into the vault now. All right, on this episode, I'm going to play you a bootleg, an audience recording of the last time I saw The Who on the 50th anniversary show, where they perform my favorite Who song, The Seeker, and it smokes. Check it out. I should say something about this song very quickly. I wrote it in a swamp in Florida.
The Who live in Miami at the American Airline Arena with The Seeker. All right, my friends, thank you so much for checking out The Who Discography Part 1 with Will Carroll. Check us out next week where, what is it? I think we start off with Quadrophenia. Well, actually, we start off with talk other than The Who, which is very interesting uh, what comes up next before we go into Quadrophenia. So I hope you all check it out, and I want to thank you all for listening, especially you that are listening right now, that share the Vieira Vault. Y'all rule. I love you all. Thank you so much. Schmack-a-ma-gob.